Second Corinthians chapter 4. I invite you to turn there once again. Um, I should say we are, uh, we're not going to cover the whole chapter, but I will take us beyond uh, verses 1 through 6, uh, probably down to about verse 16. We'll see where we end up. But Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16-ish, I suppose, is what we, uh, we should be prepared to cover for today. Um, I think it's, uh, it, it is right to say that when it comes to the Christian life and uh, Christian service, we all face the possibility of losing heart, of being tempted to give in to discouragements and uh, even despair and to give up. Uh, thankfully, though, the Lord knows our weakness. He knows our need for help and encouragement in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a, is a great place to go to find antidotes for heart loss in Christian service. Now, this is one of those passages, of course, in which what Paul is speaking of, there is something unique here um, to the Apostle Paul and his ministry as an apostle and a minister of, of the new covenant. But there is another sense in which when he speaks in verse 1 of having this ministry, we can all recognize that we, we all have a ministry, we all have a service, we all have something to do for the Lord Jesus. Uh, you can think of a passage like Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul speaks about the ascended Christ giving uh, the spirit to the church and, and giving many gifts and he gave the prophets and apostles and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to equip the church for the work of ministry. And it's, it's from that perspective that I want us to look at this text, if you will also allow me at times to preach to myself as we look at this passage uh, together. Uh, let me pray for us briefly, and then we will jump right in since we've already read the text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, your word is open before us, and we know that our lives and our service to you is ever an open book. And so we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would work this morning to show us uh, the things of the Lord Jesus Christ that we so desperately need, and that you would do a work in all of our hearts. Please encourage us in the various ways that we seek to serve Christ. And we, we pray that you would uh, open the eyes of our hearts to behold the glory of the Father radiating in the face of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would do that this morning through the ministry of your word. And we pray this in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so notice in verse 1 and in verse 16 that Paul speaks about not losing heart. I think that indicates that Paul, at the very least, had come very close at times in his service to the Lord Jesus Christ to losing heart. Coming close to despair, he speaks back in chapter 1 of 
being so weighed down by afflictions when he entered Asia. He was zapped of all of his strength and he despaired of life itself. Paul knew a thing or two about despair, uh, losing heart in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the word that he uses here is a word that we find outside of Scripture employed to refer to a woman giving birth in the pains of, uh, of, of labor, severe labor pains, where despite the fact that she is bringing a child into the world, she feels as though she cannot go on. I think Paul felt that way at times, that he couldn't keep going. So how did Paul keep going? Or, or better, how did the Lord keep Paul going? What support did the Lord provide the Apostle Paul in the gospel for continuing on in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to look this morning at three helps for keeping heart in the service of Jesus Christ. And and the first one might sound kind of strange, uh, but hold on, because I, I think it's actually the key or the basis for really taking in the other two. Uh, The first help is recognizing that there are real reasons for discouragement. You know, what what are we sometimes prone to do? Whether it's service as a pastor, service in the church, service in our homes, service in the world as we seek to make known the gospel. What are we sometimes prone to do whenever we are confronted with challenges and difficulties and opposition? Aren't we sometimes prone to you know, suppress it, uh, push it down, ignore it? If it's brought up, no, 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 I don't want to think about that. I don't want to talk about that. But the Apostle Paul faced the difficulties. And I think that's the first thing we can learn from him, to, to be real about the challenges that stand in our way. Be honest about the challenges that may cause you and I to to lose heart. So how does Paul do that in this passage? Well, notice what he says, that that there is this reason he might lose heart. I I think he's he's identifying a, a reason external to him That might tempt him to lose heart. And he talks about it in verse 4. when He he says, you know, when I look out on the world, I look at the spiritual condition of those around me, and I conclude that they have been blinded by the God of this world, or we might say the God of this age. He he reckons with the fact that this is what we see around us. He he says, "I, I look at the world, and the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, and the explanation for that is because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so Paul found this situation in which he was was called to minister the gospel, a situation that could affect heart loss, even despair, because of, of the fact that there was so much spiritual deadness and spiritual blindness all around him. And so he mentions that reason, I think, why he, he might lose heart. And, and, you know, we look honestly at the world in which we live, the context in which we're called to serve, and we see all around us, don't we, uh, 
just this allegiance to the God of this age, uh, the world being led along by the God of this age into eternal darkness because of its blindness. And when you look at that and your own inability to affect sight in the minds of unbelievers, you might be tempted to lose heart. But you might also be tempted to lose heart with an honest look at yourself. Uh, Back in chapter 2, Paul asks the question, uh, with reference to the the ministry of the new covenant, uh, the ministry of the gospel, who is sufficient for these things? And of course the answer is, in and of ourselves, none of us. The treasure of the gospel is found in fragile jars of clay. You know, we're not a very impressive group, individually or, or even corporately, are we? We're not movers and shakers in the world. You're not going to see something on the front page of the Tribune Democrat about Trinity PCA's morning and evening gatherings. And, and those of us who are called to minister the word, who are called to preach and teach the word, we... We, 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 we feel how unfit we are for the work. And, and honestly, if we don't feel that way, and maybe, maybe we say many of us lack courage, while others don't lack the courage, but maybe they're more like a bull in a china shop in the handling of their word among the people of God, and all they do is beat people over the head with it. And that in itself is not a sign of strength, but yet another sign of our weakness. And so we can be overwhelmed, I think, with a sense of our inadequacy and insufficiency to to serve the Lord Jesus, entrusted with the gospel, and yet when confronted by opposition and our own insufficiency to overcome that opposition, we may find ourselves in danger of losing heart. And friends, I actually think it's important for that to happen. In whatever way we are called to serve the Lord Jesus, I think it's important for us to understand that and to take it in. Because one of the greatest debilitating problems in our service to the Lord Jesus is for us to ever think that we are sufficient for these things. To ever think that in and of ourselves we are capable of carrying out the work. To think that there is anything in us that can open blind minds to behold the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. So to keep heart in the ministry, to keep heart in Christian service, we need to be brought to the end of ourselves. Not so that we do lose heart, but by honestly facing the facts of the challenges external to us and within us, We're brought to realize at the end of the day, we are nothing more than fragile clay pots. Now, of course, despite all of the reasons that might affect heart loss in Christian service, there are greater reasons in the gospel of the Lord Jesus that sustain us and keep us going in in our service to him. But, But this is how we keep going, first of all. Not not by turning a blind eye to the things that affect loss of heart, but by first of all reckoning with the fact that there are real reasons 
for discouragement. Because I think that then prepares us to see how there are even greater reasons in the gospel to sustain us in the service of Christ Jesus. And you know what? You, you, you might expect that to be the next logical step that Paul takes in his writing. Okay, I've identified the fact that there are real discouragements in, in, in ministry and service. So let's talk about the greater reasons in the gospel that keep us going, that sustain us, that preserve us. But that's not what Paul does. Apparently there's something else that he, he needs to mention. Having spoken about some of the pressures to lose heart, the next thing he speaks about is resisting the temptation to compromise. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because in the face of opposition, in the face of apparent lack of success, in the face of our own personal weaknesses, what will we be tempted to do? Compromise. So Paul says, before we think about how the gospel is able to sustain us from losing heart, I, I want you to understand that you need to have this built-in, resolved resistance to compromise, to give in to the, the pressures that are going to tempt you to tamper with the gospel or to conform its message to the culture in order to maybe bypass potential heartache or to win others with something that at the end of the day turns out to be not the gospel. And you see, dear friends, that is an ever-present temptation in the church, isn't it? To seek to win people with something other than Jesus Christ himself. And apparently, I think Paul was very aware of this. I think he himself experienced this temptation. Because think about it. Uh, you, you know, imagine this situation he's facing in Corinth with the Corinthian believers. You've, you've got these super apostles, these guys who are stirring up all kinds of trouble. They love to show off their, their gifts and their abilities. They've been demeaning the apostle Paul, challenging his authority as an apostle. And then here you've got Paul, this man who, it seems like everywhere he goes, he opens his mouth and he gets a beating for it. He's bruised, he's battered, he's got scars all over his body. At this point in his ministry, I think he's probably a little bit jumpy and twitchy because of all that he's been through. Scared, he speaks about being scared in the ministry. He's altogether unimpressive. Don't you think Paul would have felt the temptation at times? I see these dear Corinthian believers going with these other, maybe I'll just appeal to their desires. Or you know, the Lord has given me, not, not me, Paul, this amazing intellect. Why don't I put it to use to put these guys in their place? And maybe he could reason it out. You know, it's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus, so it's okay. You see, Paul addresses the temptation to compromise in the face of challenges in the service of Jesus Christ that might affect heart loss. But let's get a little bit uh, more into the text here. What exactly is the temptation? It is the temptation to compromise the method and the message 
of the ministry. You see that in verse 2, don't you? That he, he mentions uh, disgraceful and underhanded ways, the practice of cunning, and then tampering with God's word. So compromising the method and the message to, to avoid challenges, to compensate for personal weaknesses, or, or to avoid opposition. It is a real temptation. And so Paul says we have renounced these shameful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to tamper with the word of God. And as a pastor and anyone here who has been called to, to teach God's word, then I think you probably know something of how real that temptation can be. I'm not going to speak about, I can't speak about that today because, well, you know who is in the pew today. Or I know if I, if I bring this up, all hell is going to break loose. So I'll just, I'll just skirt it. And, you know, in our pluralistic society, don't we always feel the, the, the pressure upon us to, to water down or minimize some of the exclusive claims of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'll tell you what pastors are tempted to do. I'll tell you, this is what pastors are tempted to do. They're tempted to say, well, you know, I'm going to avoid talking about this with this individual because I want the door for future ministry to remain open. And for sure, pastoral wisdom, sometimes you might need to do that, but if we're not careful, very often we're tampering with God's word. And, and, and we're not making an open declaration of the truth. And so notice here, negatively, we renounce underhanded ways and do not tamper with God's word. But then Paul turns to the positive. That's so Pauline, isn't it? He's always doing this. He's always saying no to these things, yes to these things. Put off, put on. Because he understands that this is the dynamic of the Christian life in union with Jesus Christ. To put to death whatever is contrary to Christ and to put into practice whatever is consistent with the risen Christ. And so it's one thing to renounce distortion and to not tamper with God's word. But notice what Paul is saying. It's actually altogether a different thing to communicate the gospel to others in the manner in which the gospel is to be communicated. Look at how he describes this in verse 5. Look at it closely. Rather than practice distortion, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, that might seem like the end of a great place to end the sentence. That clarifies things, Paul. Thank you very much. Put a period at the end of Lord. But that's not all that he says, is it? He's not done yet. If, if all I've done is avoid tampering with the truth and proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord, I haven't done everything. In fact, I may not have done anything at all. See what Paul actually says? 
We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. So think about it, dear brothers and sisters. If, if, if we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord without serving those to whom we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, we haven't actually proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord at all. Or if in our personal witness we seek to bring the message of Jesus Christ as Lord without functionally kneeling before them to serve them to say, because Jesus Christ is Lord, I am your bondservant for his sake. Then all we've done is articulated the truth of the gospel without the reality of the gospel in our own lives. It's such a challenge, isn't it? I, I wonder, though, if, if at the end of the day, this is one of the reasons that Paul had such a fruitful ministry. Yeah, I mean, Paul was special and unique and wonderfully gifted in so many ways. But you see, his life adorned the gospel he preached, didn't it? The manner of his ministry was suited to the message he proclaimed. Being the servant of Jesus, Paul was prepared to kneel before those to whom he spoke and say, I am your bondservant for Jesus' sake. And so according to the apostle Paul, that is not distorting the gospel. Not tampering with God's word, not practicing underhanded ways or cunning. But by an open statement of the truth, proclaiming not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. See, preaching Christ, proclaiming Christ, sharing Christ with others without a servant heart, turns out at the end of the day to be a radical distortion. Think about it, I'm preaching to myself here. How could I ever expect God to use me if in my heart of hearts I am saying, at the end of the day, the ministry is really all about me. And I am not prepared to be your servant for Jesus' sake. You see, Paul links faithful proclamation with humble service because Paul understood that his ministry was to be patterned after that of the Lord Jesus himself Christ himself became a servant in order that through his service salvation might come to us you think about it he he humbled himself in service to the point of death even death on a cross and if he hadn't done that we would have no gospel to preach no gospel to share. And so we recognize the reality of the possibility of losing heart. We resist compromise. And then finally, we rely on the remedies. Because, yes, yes, we must recognize there are difficulties. Yes, we must resist temptation to compromise. But if that's all, that's not going to keep us going. And so let's look at four antidotes to remedy heart loss. And the first one is, is back in verse 1. 
Notice the words, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul here is speaking about the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry that he spoke of in great detail back in chapter 3 that brings, that brings a, a light, uh, that brings life out of death, that brings uh, the, the power of the Spirit instead of the dead letter of the law. It transforms us from the inside out. It fulfills Old Testament scripture. It supersedes the glory of the Mosaic covenant. And as he says in this chapter here in chapter 4, through it, we are brought to see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you know, feel the weight of that therefore. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We keep going. You see, Paul took heart in the sheer fact that he got to tell people about Jesus. And that he got to serve them for Jesus' sake. That he was privileged to be the mouthpiece of a message about Jesus that raised up the lowly and brought down the proud. That brought light into the darkness and life out of death. And so that's the first remedy. The nature of the service itself. Making Jesus Christ known. And the second remedy against losing heart is, is rem remembering the power of God at work in the gospel. Remembering the power of God that is at work in the gospel. Paul, Paul says, you know, what, what's the best analogy for the power of God that is at work in the ministry of the gospel? The best analogy is the power of God that is demonstrated in creation, when God spoke and it was. And so he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What kind of power is at work in the ministry of the gospel? The same power that brought forth creation into existence out of nothing. When God said, let there be light, there was light. His word possesses the power in and of itself to bring forth the things that are not. And notice the way Paul speaks of God's power, not as some kind of, you know, ivory tower doctrine, uh, remotely, coldly considered, but as something personally experienced, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul speaks not only of the power of God in the gospel, but of the power of God in the gospel personally experienced. And he's drawing forth encouragement from this. Now, of course, the gospel is not my salvation story. The gospel is not my conversion story. The gospel is not how I was brought to faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't diminish the significant reality of the gospel at work in his own life. I mean, after all, Paul is the last man that you would expect to see serving Jesus Christ. He despised Jesus. And he wanted to see everyone who followed Jesus gotten rid of, wiped off the face of the earth. 
But God took a hold of this man and turned this man who despised Christ into a man who willingly, gladly laid down his life for the sake of this gospel. And so God's power manifested in his own life. It's not the foundation of the gospel for Paul, but what a glorious encouragement it is in the face of discouragement. What God has done for Paul. What God has done for you and me. Giving sight to blind minds to behold the beauty of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And so remedies against losing heart. The the nature of the ministry, uh, the power of God at work in the gospel, and then third, the ordinary pattern for the manifestation of God's power. The ordinary pattern for the manifestation of God's power. Friends, this is how God works. Take a look at verse 7. We have this treasure, treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, God is not in the business of displaying his power through those who are wise according to worldly standards. God is not in the habit of using those who are strong in this world to display his strength. Instead, what do we find in Scripture again and again and again in order to show forth his power to save? God uses weak, helpless people to show that the power belongs to him and is not our own. And here's what's, uh, I think this is an interesting connection. Some commentators connect 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. Remember the story of Gideon and his army? And how God took that group of men and whittled it down to 300 men. This little group of, of, of men were then going to be sent into battle against the Midianites. And they were told what they were to take with them into the battle. Do you remember what it was? A torch within a jar. Or light within a clay pot. And it was actually only when that clay pot was smashed that the enemies of God were defeated. And actually, the other instrument that they were called to take were trumpets. And after the clay pot was smashed, the the trumpets were sounded. And that's fascinating in and of itself because so often in Scripture, trumpets are associated with proclamation. And it's when these clay pots are smashed and the light shines forth and the trumpets resound, God displayed his strength to deliver his people through these weak, weak men. Now just think about the Apostle Paul as another example. We could look at so many others in Scripture, but think about Paul's own life in ministry and how, how God displayed his power to save, especially when Paul was weak and helpless. Think about when he wrote to the Philippians in, in chapter 1, and he's saying, I, I, I know you're discouraged because I'm in prison. And you maybe are thinking, well, if that's happened to the apostle Paul, what's going to happen to us? But I want you to understand that my imprisonment has actually served for the advance of the gospel. 
because now it's going to this imperial guard. You know, they, they weren't coming to listen to me at the synagogue. Actually, there seems to be no synagogue in Philippi. So they weren't coming down to the riverside to hear me. They weren't coming to the public places to hear me preach. But God has brought me to them. And, in, and the gospel now is where has grown legs and is running loose among the whole imperial guard. God manifesting his power to save through human weakness. This is God's pattern for showing his power to use fragile clay pots. Because then it's made clear that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then here's the final remedy. The final remedy to heart loss in service to Christ is our union with Christ. Uh, Paul, Paul shows us how union with Christ explains present suffering and guarantees future glory. And really the rest of this passage is an explanation of this idea. Uh, just run through these verses with me. Uh, let's just pick it up in, in verse 13 to get a sense of this. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of of God. So, here it is again, like a bookend, so we do not lose heart. Now, we can't get into all the details here, but I just want you to notice the, the pattern of Christian service, the pattern of ministry is shaped by union with Jesus Christ in his dying and rising, in his death and resurrection. Paul explains that pattern if you go back to, to verse 9 in these terms. Uh, persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. And you want to ask the question, why is it like that? Why is that the nature of Christian service and Christian ministry? Well, because we carry in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be also be manifested in our flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now again, of course, God was doing something unique in the life and ministry and apostleship of Paul. But please understand that Paul is a model of a principle that gets worked out in every believing life and in all of Christian service. <clears throat> Paul understands that we are so united to Jesus that the whole of our lives is patterned by his dying and rising, by dying and rising with him. So much so that he can talk about carrying around in his body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Not that his suffering is somehow redemptive, Paul's. Not that his suffering is somehow, you know, participatory in the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
but instead he realizes that the whole of his life is now shaped and determined by the Savior he belongs to. But I wonder, brothers and sisters, if we catch and are able to take in the significance of what Paul is saying for Christian service and Christian ministry. Death at work in us, but life in you. You see, Paul Paul interpreted the, the agonies and the struggles and the opposition and even the persecutions involved in Christian service as a part of this pattern where God is using suffering to produce new life. Why is that the way, though? That's the question you want to ask, isn't it? Why is that the way? Because it was that way with God's one and only Son. You remember what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples on the, the road to Emmaus? Was it, not, was it not necessary for the Son of Man to suffer and then enter into his glory? And by his suffering, participation in his sufferings, the many sons are brought with him to glory. And our union with him teaches us that fruitful service, useful ministry, participates in the sufferings of Christ so that with him we and others may share in his life. And I hope you see or, or think this through, the many implications this has for our personal service as Christians and our service together as a church. I mean, how, how misguided, how foolish then we are for ever trying to portray ourselves as strong and attractive and wise in the eyes of the world, thinking that that's the way people will be won to Christ. Shame on us if we mimic worldly ideas of success, thinking that that's doing Jesus a favor. We need to look at our brothers and sisters in places around the world like Nigeria and Sudan and Iran and China and other places around the world to see where God is using participation in the dying of Jesus to produce life. You see, we've, we've been taught, we've been catechized, whether we realize it or not, by our culture to avoid suffering and weakness. This is the last thing I want to say, though. Brothers and sisters, what if that's the way, though? What if that is the way of useful ministry and service? What if that is the way of truly fruitful service to the Lord Jesus Christ? What if, what if that is the, 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 the life Christ led and now calls us to? You see, fruitful ministry is grounded in and patterned by our union with Christ who suffered for our sakes and by whose suffering the many are brought to glory. So may the Lord 
may the Lord encourage our hearts this morning with, with these gospel remedies and strengthen us for service in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the truth uh, revealed in this text. And we are eternally grateful for that ministry of the Spirit that has opened our eyes to behold your glory shining in the face of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray for those who, who are here this morning and the, the eyes of their minds are veiled from seeing that beauty. Would you please lift the veil that they might see your glory and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we would also pray that you would sustain us with these remedies found in your word, that we might go forth in glad service to Jesus Christ, and that you would please produce uh, new fruit, gospel fruit, as we lay down our lives for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen.